We're excited about that partnership. Also excited that we, uh, another way that we can, can step in is uh, this next week, Wednesday from 9.30 to 4, the rink is going to become a vaccine distribution center. And so if you meet the criteria for, uh, to receive the vaccine, uh, feel free to, to go online to sign up for this. There's information out in the foyer uh, at the front desk. There's some flyers to find out some more information about that. Just another way for us to be the hands and feet of Jesus as we step out into, into this community. Are you guys excited to be here this morning? Yes, me too. Uh, I'll give you a great applause. It's, uh, you, you, you had to change the clock last night, so give yourselves a round of applause for being on time this morning. Yes. Uh, I'm not going to praise you as much as I did those in the early service because they were really troopers and, uh, and really had to, to get on it. Um, but uh, we're excited to, to, to be here again. Uh, I'm excited to be here again and, uh, and want to move uh, into what we're talking about today. We're continuing in our series uh, against all odds, and we're continuing to walk through the Old Testament and highlight some of these heroes of the Old Testament, watching the gospel theme through, uh, weave itself through there all the way into the New Testament. I don't know if you saw the, the, the teaser coming into the weekend uh, where I was uh, in my car trying to call Pastor Gus, and you know, we, these things like drive us crazy sometimes, right? The voice recognition that we use on some of our devices. Just frustrating. I mean, we spend all this time training these things to understand our voice, and then yet in the moment when we need it most, it leaves us hanging, right? And, and so you're just like ready to throw it across the room. I started doing, a couple weeks ago, started doing a, a deep dive research on voice recognition software, voice recognition techniques, and what goes into the, the design of these things when it comes to our devices. And it, it led me into a deeper dive of actual uh, uh, Google searches and, uh, and, and the characteristic of Google searches and how they work and, and what, what search is done most on which device and, and which questions are asked. And here's the thing, I, I didn't really find anything that would just blow you away this morning, but what, one thing I did find is this that I thought was very interesting is this, that 450,000 searches every month to find out the answer to this question. Who called me? That's it. Who called me? Who wanted to speak to me just then? Who, who was trying to, to get a hold of me to say something to me? And I think that's a question that a lot of people ask. I'm like, you know, you, you could just look on your phone, whatever. Uh, which is interesting, right? Like that is a, that is a question that is asked 450,000 times. And you and I know, as I'm looking out here, I'm seeing some of our, our students and our college students here today, and, and, and whether you're, you're at that age and you got your whole life ahead of you or whether you're two-thirds of the way through your life, the most important thing, one of the most important things that we know is that, is that we need to put ourselves in a, in a position to hear the voice of God as we walk through life. We know that. One of the other interesting questions in, in my research was this wasn't at the clip of 450,000 uh, searches a month, but over the course of a two-year study, one of the themes that kept coming back over uh, Google searches was, what does God have to say about my life? What is God saying to me? I mean, the Bible is full of, of our examples of where we have seen God speak to people over and over and over again. And, and it may lead people to the question today, is like, well, what happened? Where, where did vo God's voice go? And the answer is this, that we have simply lost or moved away from the frequency of which God was communicating to us. That being said, I love what A.W. Tozer said. He said, if you are doing all the talking when you are praying, how will you ever hear the answers that God has for you? 
We're so busy worried about making sure something is coming out of our mouth that we don't even realize that there's someone sitting across the table from us that is talking also. As we walk through this story today, I'm, I'm excited because it's, it's, a, it's a moment where we need to recognize as Christ followers that we, to be able to recognize and distinguish God's voice among the enemy's voice, among other people's voice, my own voice, and all the noise that surrounds. The Bible's full of examples asking that question, where is God today? At the outset, I need to say this. Let's be reminded that God has never changed channels. But for some reason, you and I have moved off of that frequency. We have moved off of that channel. And so that's where we're headed today. One of the best examples, obviously, is the story that we're going to look at today in Mo of Moses, how God got his attention in Exodus chapter 3. And as we walk through that, we'll see that the redemptive theme of the gospel woven through this story, how God uses Moses in his life to set the captives free. And God uses them and gets his attention in a mighty way. The Bible says that distinguishing God's voice is important for many reasons, but there's three I want to hit on up here at the, at the top of this as, as we move forward. And number one is this, that it verifies our identity in the Father. It justifies who we are as sons and daughters of the King. It's, it's, it's part of uh, the verification of who we are. The Bible says, my sheep hear my voice. John 8, 47 says, he who belongs to God hears God's voice, and he who does not belong to God does not hear. The second thing, hearing God's voice and hearing what God has to say about our life is important because it helps us, honestly, from making mistakes, right? Like we, we hear God's voice and his, gather his guidance and gain his, his wisdom and what we should do in big decisions, small decisions in our life. And it keeps us from making mistakes. You look at Job 33, says, pay attention, O Job, listen to me. Be silent, and I will speak. If you have any words, answer me. Speak, for I desire to justify you. If not, listen to me. Be silent, and I will teach you wisdom. Third thing is, that, is this, that it's imperative to our success. It's imperative for our success. Uh, our success. It, any, any key productivity that's going to happen in my life is going to be um, because I'm able to put myself in a position to hear God's voice. Proverbs 3, 5, 6 says, Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean out of your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will do what? He will make your path straight. I don't know about you, but I know that when I am not in a place where I'm hearing from God on a regular basis, guess what? My paths do not look straight. Anything I've ever accomplished in my life, any type of success I've ever had was, was at a point when I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was hearing God's voice, that I was hearing what His truth was for my life. It was by His grace is able to accomplish anything. Because why? Because you, you want to get to that point where you realize that it's truly His voice that is speaking to you. It's so distinct, there's no mistake, that you hear it above all other noise, all other sound. You know, when I was growing up in an elementary school age, uh, I grew up on Southeast 11th Street. Raise your hand if you know where that is. I didn't think so. Southeast 11th Street, little street in Ocala, Florida, and I grew up there. It was a fun little neighborhood, and, and I had lots of friends on my street. We'd uh, come home after school, we'd ride bikes, we'd jump ramps, we'd, we'd do all these crazy things and have a good time. And uh, So we could be playing on the front of our street out there nearby in front of the house, or there was a park about two and a half blocks behind our house, behind our neighborhood, and it was just a big circular drive around this park, and there was a big field in the middle. We'd play baseball, football, whatever, hang out and just, just have a good time. When it came time for dinner, 
or if it was after dinner, it was getting dark, there would come a call. We would all get the, we would all get the call from our parents. This is back before the days where you could, we were glued to our, our cell phones and before you could like speak into a watch and things would happen. This is a day when you had to listen for mom's voice. You guys, some of you remember that, like hearing mom's voice or dad's voice or, or dad's whistle, whatever it was for your opportunity, your signal for you to start coming home, it was so distinct. It was like no other. In fact, we'd be playing out there in this field and we'd hear someone's parent call their name. We're like, oh, that's, that's you. You got to go. Right? And I knew that when my mom would call me and call my name, I knew one thing, that in the next 60 seconds, the thing that better be happening is two wheels on the pedal headed home. And so one, one night, this is after dinner, we're back at the park, we're hanging out, I don't know, we're throwing dirt bombs at each other, just having a good time, whatever. People started getting called, and, and I guess the call came from me, I didn't hear it that night, or maybe I was just having a great time and didn't want to respond to the call. But next thing I know, my dad's truck is pulling up at the park. And I was like, cool, dad has come down here to play ball with us, this is going to be great. Dad was not the one that got out of the truck. It was mom, and she, and she did one of these things. She got out of the truck, and she went, and she just looked at the, everybody on the field, just that mom look thing, right? Like she's staring right at me, but everybody on the field thought she was staring right at them. It's a, it's a mom thing, you know. And she's just staring right through us. I mean, people were like frozen, like, oh my gosh, what's about to happen, right? I mean, people were frozen, like mid-frame, like. She never said a word. She just stared, looking at me, Everybody, some of the guys just started taking a knee like it was some kind of injury timeout. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like a foreshadowing of something, like what's happening? And she continued to look at me and she walked over. She grabbed my bike, put it in the back of the truck, went and got back in the front, put it in drive, looked back over at me and was like, never had to say a word. I was frozen. I didn't know what to do. I was like, I mean, this could be the end of me. This could be... But finally, I smartened up, and I was like, all right, guys, I'm, I, I got to go. And so I ran in the truck, and I was like, probably see you in like three weeks or my next birthday or whatever. But then in that moment, I knew I was in trouble. Why? Because I did not respond. I did not, I was not, I did not have an attitude of submission when it came to the call that I was supposed to be answering to. You know, that's what, that's what the Bible says, right? To, to hear God's voice, we have to start with an attitude of submission, posturing ourselves to recognize and reposition so that we are hearing from God. It's, it looks like this. It's a, it's a surrender in advance. It's not, God, you tell me, and then I'll decide what I'm going to do. No, it's a yes, I surrender. Yes, I am listening. Now, what are the instructions? Or as my dad used to say, Rob, you should be on my voice so close that when I say to jump, you say, right. And you better be on your way up when you ask that question. You know, we've been, we've been going through uh, Genesis and, and through some of these, looking at some of these uh, characters in the, in, the New, in the Old Testament. And I want to continue with the, the story of Moses and, and look at his character and his life. But just to kind of catch us up, if, if you haven't been tuned into that, in Genesis, uh, we, God promised Abraham that through his family, everyone in Israel, all nations of Israel would be blessed. And Genesis ends with Abraham's family down in Egypt. Now, when Exodus starts, 400 years have now passed. Abraham's family has grown, and now they've grown so big, they've become the people group known as Israel. But unfortunately, they have become enslaved to the king of, of, the, Egypt, of the Egyptians, and his name is Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, let's just face it, Pharaoh was a terrible person. Pharaoh had one thing in mind, one person in mind, when he made all the decisions about his kingdom and about people, and that was him, himself. 
And Pharaoh embodied, I mean, and, and enslaved them in terrible ways. He, he depraved them of basic human rights. He was a terrible leader. He, he, he beat them, caused them great harm and pain, to the point where he asked them, to, he, he made them, he demanded that they take their firstborn sons and drown them in the Nile River. But there was one Israelite woman who risked her own life by not obeying what Pharaoh said. And she took her, her, her baby down and she put it in a basket that floated, and it floated down the Nile River. And lo and behold, it ends up in the hands of Pharaoh's daughter, who raised that child up, nurtured it, and raised it, and he became the man we now know as Moses. And Moses would be used to later set the captives free and be used by God in a mighty mighty way. Now, Moses' life can be divided up in what I like to call the 40s. There was 40 years he was in Pharaoh's court, learning to be a somebody, and then there was 40 years where he was in the, the desert wilderness, becoming a nobody, and then there was 40 years of his life where he became God's somebody. I mean, this is two-thirds of the way through his life. He is like at the ripe old age of 80 at this point. I don't care how old you are ever, God is never done with us right? Like God is always calling us to things. God is always asking us to, 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 to do more. God is always calling us to more. You're not done. You're not finished yet. So this is like right after the, the 40 years, right after the, 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 this time in the desert. And we pick up our story in Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. And I want to read it out because I think sometimes if we don't, we, we miss some of the details. It says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that, he turned aside to see. God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said, I am the God of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now, a couple of things that I love about this passage that I don't want us to miss is this. This was not unfamiliar territory to Moses. Like, he, he had walked over, over grounds like this his, his whole life. He was a shepherd. It's what he did. These bushes, he walked past them every day. This wasn't something new. Probably wasn't on fire when he passed them every day, but this wasn't something new. The, the, the landscape was the same. But I love what he says in, in, in verse 3 here. He says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning. So it was something new. Verse 3 says this, I will turn aside to see this great sight. In other words, Moses is going about his day doing what Moses did as a shepherd. But it wasn't until he stopped, turned aside, as the Bible says, he repositioned him. He got in a posture to where he could hear what was about to happen. And, and then I love that God confirms that in verse 4. He says, he says, when the Lord saw that he turned aside, when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, then, then God called him out of that burning bush. It, it makes me ask this question this, today. Maybe there are times in our life when we're actually standing on holy ground, and we just don't realize it because we're too busy scrolling. We're too busy checking off the next thing on our to-do list. We're too busy just trying to get through the day. And it makes me think like how like I need to focus in my life. 
come to a point where I'm realizing, like, am I still tuned in to the right frequency? Am I being intentional about finding time in my life to hear the voice of God? And we see that on in, in his conversations into Exodus chapter 4. God uh, gets his attention, right? And then God starts to ask him a question. He says, Moses, what is it that is in your hand? Moses says, it's a staff. It's just a, just a stick, just a dead piece of wood. It's dead. Moses is probably thinking, why did he just ask me this? He says, well, well Moses says, throw it down. So Moses throws it down. And it, and it becomes alive. It becomes a snake. It becomes a serpent. To the point, I love the detail that they throw in there. I don't think it's by accident that Moses was scared of it and ran at first, right? I love Moses for that very reason. That's me. God says, pick it up. And so, he bends over. Charlton Heston picks it up. Your parents made you watch that movie every year too, right? But no, he says, Moses, pick it up. Moses picks it up, tells him to pick it up by the tail. He picks it up, it becomes a staff again. It becomes just a dead stick. He throws it down, it becomes alive again. It becomes a serpent, a living. A something that was dead comes alive. Tells him to pick it up, right? Pick it up, and it becomes what? It just becomes dead again. This is a crazy story. It's okay to say that. It is very unusual. In fact, if you're here for the very first time or you're joining, on, joining us online, don't leave. I'm not about to start handling snakes and all that kind of stuff. But this is a, an incredible story. And we know that God doesn't do stories like this. He doesn't, he doesn't do miracles like this just to show off. No, God does these stories. Every parable is a miracle and every miracle is a parable. And this is a miracle of divine truth that we're walking through right now. And he asked him, what is in your hand? Because here's the thing. It represents three things in his life. It represents his identity, his income, and his influence. The other thing is this, when God asked Moses that question, he already knows what's in his hand. What he wants to happen is for Moses to recognize what is in his hand. God knew a thousand years before that what was going to be in his hand. He's saying, Moses, do you recognize what is in your hand? And it represents those three things, his income, his influence, and, and, and his identity. It, it, the staff represents Moses' identity because of, like, let's just say that I walked in and you didn't know me, and I walked in today and I have a stethoscope hanging around my neck. You would assume that I'm probably a doctor. If I walk in with a, with, with a lab coat and, and, and a clipboard, something like that, I'm some type of uh, scientist, maybe a, a lab technician, right? If I walk in with a bunch of power equipment and some cool uh, power tools, you probably think I'm, I'm a contractor going to do a job somewhere. This staff represented who he was. It was what a chef used. It was part of his identity. Second thing was it was a symbol of his income. You see, back then they didn't have, a, you know, savings accounts, bonds, and stocks. All they had was, was their animals. And, and, and you were judged based on how many animals that you had. If you were doing okay, then you had just a few animals. And if you were doing really well, you were well off, you had like quite a big gathering of livestock. It represented his income, who he was, or his identity his income. And the last thing, it represented his influence. What do you use a staff for? To move sheep from A to B. And sometimes they need a little encouragement, right? You've worked with sheep like that, right? Like that they need a little, little something extra to get them and influence them, to encourage them to move from point A to point B. 
It, it, was, a, it, was, a, it was used as, as a symbol of his influence, what he could do through that. And God is saying, in this moment, God is saying to, to, to Moses this. He's saying, look, Moses, if you will take these things and you will lay them down, I will make them come alive. The moment that you reach back down and pick them back up, they will die again. Now, this is a very pivotal point, not only in biblical history, but just in history of the world, I, I believe. I think that this is a very important time in the life of all of us, because if this doesn't happen, the Exodus doesn't happen, the Ten Commandments doesn't happen, the, the, the nation of Israel doesn't happen. Maybe there's no Messiah, maybe there's no death on a cross, maybe there's no New Testament church, maybe we're not here today. So this is a huge deal for Moses. And it's no, uh, no surprises as to what we see that follows in the Bible after this. God is asking the question, what is in your hand? And right after this, the term mate, which means the rod of God, is how it is referred to in the rest of the Bible. And it's through the rod of God that all the rest of the miracles are done. It was through the rod of God that, that, that at the, the Nile, uh, he dipped it into the Nile River and it turned blood red. It was through the rod of God that he touched the, the, the rock at Marah and water came out to quench the thirst of a, a million Jews. It was at the, at the sea where he stood and held up the rod of God that it split wide open and the people were able to experience freedom. All of these things were done through the rod of God. And he's asking us today, what is in your hand? What is in our life that we need to just throw down? Let God take it. What is it that's standing between you and God, having that right relationship and that open voice of communication? As God says, if we'll put those things down, lay those at his feet, he'll make them come alive, and he'll do things through us and with us and that we've never, ever experienced before. Years ago in the mid-2000s, I met a, a guy by the name of Brian Stout, and uh, Brian helped me take some teams down to, to Haiti, where he had just started getting involved with, and, uh, and, and so we, Brian and I have become good friends, and um, I'm excited to be able to, to read a little excerpt out of Brian's book that just recently came out because it involves a story that happened right here at Northland back in 2007. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this story. Pastor Will Jean and his wife Janine is, are, is a, a, a couple that, um, that is pastoring a church down in Haiti, and, and God called Brian to go and to be a part of this ministry, and it has incredible things have happened. Some of them talked about in this book, but I want to read... I want to read something to you, an excerpt that happened right here at Northland. It was Christmas 2007. Pastor Will Jean and his wife Janine were in the States staying at our house for the holiday. At that time, we were attending Northland Church, and they had just finished constructing their new sanctuary. I told Pastor Will Jean and Janine, hey, I'd really like for you to see our new worship center in a service in a different culture than yours. I told him Northland had a giant screen that he'll never believe. He didn't know what I meant. I told him, just come, come with me for the Christmas service tonight, and you'll, you'll see. So when we went to the service, Pastor Jean and Janine were amazed at the sights and the sounds of a church building like Northland. They told me, man, look how powerful and beautiful God is. 
Pastor Joel Hunter, who was a senior pastor of Northland at the time, said, we want to do something different today. We want to hear from you. We, what is God doing in your life? We have people standing around with a microphone, and they'll be around. Keep it short, but we want to hear what God is doing in your life. Brian said, recently I had made the decision that my wife and I would go into full-time ministry to help build a church in Haiti. Learning, <clears throat> leaning over to Pastor Will John, I said, man, this is a fast, fantastic opportunity. Why don't you tell everybody one of the stories that has been taking place in your church in Haiti? And Pastor Will John smiled right back at him and said, why don't you? It's your church. He said, oh, no, 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 no. I, I don't want to do anything, say anything. I think it'd be great for you to say something. And Pastor Will John replied, so you're not going to say anything? Nope, Brian said. And with that famous facial expression of resignation that Will John gives people who don't listen, to, he said, okay, and folded his, arm, folded his arms in content. I sat on my seat, literally sat on my hands. I began, uh, they began to call on people in the congregation. Pastor Joel eventually said, okay, last person. Yes, you in the blue shirt. And breathing a sigh of relief, I thought, great, I'm in the clear. The guy in the blue shirt said something, but I wasn't really paying attention. After he was done, Pastor Joel said, okay, one more. Brian said, my goodness. I thought, what in the world's going on? I still figured I was in the clear. Looking around, there were 30, 40 people with their hands up wanting to be called on in a sea of thousands of people. I mean, after all, it was a Christmas service. Pastor Jean looked right at me without saying a word. I reluctantly raised my hand, my fingers just above my shoulder, all around me as I sat right over here in this section. Ten rows back from the front, I sat quietly with my hand barely raised. Wouldn't you know it, Pastor Joel called on me. Oh, for heaven's sake, now I have to say something. I stood up, and I gave a two-minute history of how I had stepped out of corporate America to partner with this pastor in Haiti to build God's church there. I explained that Pastor Will John and Janine were visiting in the States and ended by thanking them for the time we spent together. I handed the microphone back and sat down. All right, off we go. That wasn't so bad. Here's what I didn't know. Up in the balcony above our heads, a friend of mine was sitting in that same service. She had tried, she saw me in the parking lot, but was able to connect with me prior to the service. She said, she began praying, Lord, please let Brian say something. I know what you just did in his life, joining him in partnership with the Haiti ministry. Help him say something. I didn't know she was praying for me in that moment when I volunteered to speak. Pastor Joel had begun to give his message as he typically did. He, as he typically did, he walked side to side on that huge stage. He was the farthest away from us on the other side of the sanctuary, teaching on the book of James, the tongue, and the power of our words. Suddenly he froze. He stood there, doing nothing, holding his hands out. Then Pastor Joel said, where's Brian? Where's Brian? And he began to walk back over towards this side of the stage. I thought, what in the world? He kept asking, where's Brian? He probably thought he'd got my name wrong since no one was raising his hand. <laughs> Pastor Will John looked at me. Finally, I raised my hand. Pastor Hunter walked all the way back over in front of me on the stage and looking right into my eyes, he said, where's Brian? Don't quit. Don't quit. That was all. Then he turned around. Okay, now when James was talking about the tongue, and he was right back into a sermon. Just like that, the Spirit of God moved through Pastor Joel in the middle of his message. He'd said, stop, give Brian some encouragement in that moment before you continue. Brian says, to see someone else get involved in what was happening in Pastor Will John's church in Haiti, especially my pastor, a man who shepherded thousands of people, showed me that God was on the move. Last part, my friend from the balcony found me later after the service said, Brian, I kept praying so hard over and over that you would say something because I knew that God had something to say to you. And he used you. Even though you were reluctant to deliver a message to both your family and, and to Pastor Will John's, I knew then that God 
wanted us to continue with our mission in Haiti. He had called me specifically to be here tonight and to do his work and to obey. Now, I get the privilege of catching up with, with Brian on a regular basis, getting to hear what God is doing through his ministry in Haiti. And he'll tell you time and time again, like other stories that are in this book, it wasn't until he laid down his job, laid down his family, laid down all these things before God spoke to him and called him into this. And I just wonder, as I pray for you today, as you pray for me, may our lives reflect the life of a, a true Christ follower who is listening on every word of God. That our lives not only show that, but the world can see that. Let's pray. God, thank you for, for men and, and women that have gone ahead of us. Great heroes of the faith who have stepped out, who have been intentional in listening to your every word and making decisions through that that would affect your kingdom and nations to come. Lord, I thank you for, for men like Brian. I thank you for men like, like Pastor Joel who, who took a risk and stopped his sermon to give Brian some encouragement that night. God, may our lives reflect just that. God, forgive us of being too busy. Forgive us of being so oriented, checking off a schedule, meeting goals, whatever it might be. God, my prayer for, for this congregation today is that we would stop and be intentional, that we would reposture ourselves and reposition ourselves to hear your voice again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.